Hello and welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. Today we are going to find out how to create brilliant ideas and bring them to life. We chat with four innovative and entrepreneurial problem solvers about how to get an idea and give it legs, most importantly. Taking Care of Business is made possible by our friends at the EVU Group, Australia's first multi-brand real estate network. So today we'll be joined by Andrew Jackson, who has created an online business marketplace called Circle Source. We also will be joined by innovation architect Niels Vesk, who has written a book all about ideas with legs, and digital native Scott McNaught from Synergy 8 talks about how to market ideas digitally and also the Byte Conference. But all ideas must start with a seed, and that seed is curiosity. Our first guest loves to cultivate curiosity and inspire growth. She has led innovation projects for the world's leading brands in over 50 countries including Lego, Serious Play. Yvette Corby, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. Yvette Corby, I was intrigued by your job title. I've got a bit of a thing about titles at the moment because they're so, it's such an opportunity to be creative and you certainly sparked my curiosity. Chief Investigator and Co-Founder of Agents of Spring. Tell us about that. Yeah, great. Um so I'm, I'm a problem solver for organisations, basically. So, um, and to do that, I start with curiosity and, and cur- I curiously immerse myself in the lives of my organisation's stakeholders and their customers to identify their most valuable problems to solve. And then I use creativity to uh, collaboratively co-create solutions that solve those, that, those problems that we've identified. Okay, and so Agents of Spring, that's your business? Yes, it is. And the Agents of Spring, and I guess the, the name has come from the agents part is really that investigation. So oh, okay. um, we want to really get to the heart of why people do what they do and why what problems that they've got that need solving. And the Spring part is all about value creation. So ultimately, we want to um, not just finish the problem, as you said, the seed, it's the starting point to come mm. up with ideas and solutions to solve those problems. So you like the um, 007 of growth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great, I love it. Uh, yeah, because I've always been a frustrated, I always describe myself as a frustrated secret agent trying to sort of figure out how things work. And that's one of the reasons I do this show every Friday. I get to speak to people like you to, to you know, pick your brains and figure out where where your uh, ideas come from and and your thoughts. So you've written a book. You've put your thoughts into a book called Cultivating Curiosity. Uh, I have. Yeah, is that your first book? It is my first book. Yes. And how was how was that experience for you? Um, it was uh, it was a it was a wonderful experience. Um, the seeds to the book actually came. I attended the Fast Company Innovation Conference in New York at the end of 2016. And that was really um, where the, the, the full seed for the idea of the book came. I was sitting there listening to entrepreneurs, um, CEOs from some of the biggest brands around the world. And the, the word I kept writing down was uh, that it had been a, a key kind of ingredient for their success was curiosity. And I just, every day in my notebook, I had hashtag curious, hashtag curiosity. And, and coupled with, you know, I've, I've been doing deep curiosity work for the last 20 years. So I've travelled the world. I've been in trailer parks in Florida, elderly homes in Birmingham. I've been 
um, to tier four cities in China, villages in India, and stepped into people's lives to understand, um, you know, how they live, what's going on for them, what matters to them. And so it was really the combination of the work that I'd been doing. My background as a psychologist and specifically in organisational psychology. And that, that, but that conference was kind of like, hey, I want to share my thoughts and ideas I have around this topic. Yeah, and that walking in the customer's shoes, as you said, actually going in and, and being part of people's lives really creates that empathy, which then is, I suppose, uh, one of the trigger points to spark curiosity. Absolutely. I think um, we make a lot of assumptions about what we, how people think, how they behave, mm. um, what they want, and it's not until we truly step into people's shoes and observe what the world looks like from their perspective are we are we able to have that empathy to even think about how to how to design or solve for them you mentioned Yvette that you were a registered psychologist is that where you use your training to do things like this um absolutely I think um that has been a really um fundamental sort of grounding for me so in the consumer behavior side of things so really trying to understand um, the motivations and needs that, that people have in their daily life, that, that's obviously been incredibly helpful. And how do you get deeper customer insights by using curiosity? <laughs> yeah, so um, I've developed six curiosity mindsets to help to do that. So um, for us to first be curious, we've first got to be open to new, new knowledge as a starting point and be ready to be be curious and we've got to then have some discipline around building curiosity into into our work, into our schedule. But I, I've developed these six curiosity mindsets to really help cultivate curiosity and to get those deep insights. Um, and so the first one is the rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rebel the rebel is, is really about going out on a limb to challenge others, the rules, the norms, authority to risk a better way of doing things. So often we can kind of get stuck in and constrained by assumptions and we've kind of built walls around our thinking because that's just the way it's always done. So in terms of cultivating our curiosity, to be the rebel is, it could be as simple as sort of challenging, well, why why is this done this way? Like um, to start to look beyond, I guess, the boundaries we put around our thinking. Now, I noticed um, the, the other, sorry to interrupt you there, but yeah. I'm conscious of time because I really yeah. want to go through these six, but yeah. um, we might need to do that another time. But I'm just going to go through them. But I'm going to ask, there's, so there's the rebel, which attracted me. Uh, yeah. Then there's Zen master, and I think that's um, fairly self-explanatory, would it be? Yeah, it's really just being in the present and not getting distracted by um you know, we spend 47% of our day doing something but thinking about something else, so focusing on the task at hand. Yeah. Then there's the novice. What's a quick explanation of that? Yeah, so the novice is um, really comfortable um, asking silly questions and not having all the answers and really questioning, do you really know everything about a particular challenge or problem? Because often we know far less than we think we do. Okay, so it's like that childlike thinking in a way that every question's a good question and and no fear of judgment absolutely yeah okay now sleuth and i'm guessing that's probably where you're sitting (laughs) is is number four of your six critical curiosity mindsets is that correct um i 
I, I think the sleep is, um, you know, I, a lot of the work that I have done centred around the sleep, but I think we can, um, you know, we can sit in, in a focus group and people can tell us something, but often what people say and what they do are two very different things. Mm. And so it's looking for those disconnects between what people say and what they do and really observing and um, how, you know, if they say, I'm good at using technology, well, hey, let's show me that, you know, open up your computer and show me that because often um, people, you know, they certainly don't do what they say. Yeah, and we've got number five is interrogator. Yeah, so the interrogator is really about getting to the truth of something and this is... um, a generous listener, so and often asking questions that haven't been asked before. And some of those questions are often simple questions, but it's almost like, oh, that's too silly. Like, I can't ask that. Mm. That seems too simple. But sometimes those questions can unlock new thinking, new ideas. And part of the interrogator's role is to really challenge assumptions and to flip assumptions to, and to really um, challenge challenge the people around you. Yeah, and the sixth one is playmaker. I like that one. Yeah, so for me, the playmaker is a bit like the cream on the top. Not always relevant to curiosity, but it can be really lovely. So it's about using play to um, seek out learning. And I think I've used play in many different ways, but it can unlock some real profound insights from people um, when you use play as a tool. And a question I like to ask people is, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And you know, I challenge you to, to go out and try something you've never done before. Yeah, that's great advice. Now, the the assessment or self-assessment to identify which curiosity mindset you have right now and which one you might need to nurture, those yes. listening, how would they go about doing that? Um, so the, there's six simple questions that, that people can um, respond to on a scale of zero to ten. I don't know if you want me to talk through those now. Uh, um, if you can do it quickly, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, great. great. So if, if people draw a hexagon on a piece of paper in front of them and the middle of the hexagon put a dot and that represents a zero and the outside of the hexagon represents a ten. And for each of the questions I quickly run through, if you rate yourself um, using a scale of zero to ten, where zero would be not at all and ten would be extremely. Okay, let's go. All right, so the rebel. How prepared are you to go out on a limb to seek a better way of doing things. Okay, great. Zen master. How often are you fully present? Novice. How comfortable are you when you don't have all the answers? Sleuth. How likely are you to notice things beyond the obvious? Interrogator. How likely are you to ask questions that have never been asked before? And playmaker. How open are you to experiencing new things and learning through play? Brilliant. We've just done, I think, the first live on-air workshop of it. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent, excellent. So that's zero to ten. We'll put a link to our Facebook page as well, to your website and also your book, Cultivating Curiosity, where you explore in much more detail all those concepts that we've gone through. And I'm assuming that the book's available anywhere you can buy books? Yes, it is. Wonderful. Yvette Corby, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, I am super curious, so I look forward to the next time that we can continue our curiosity and our wonderful chat.
Great. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks for your time. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. Today we are talking about cultivating curiosity and you've just been listening to Yvette Corby. And on the other side of this break, we will be chatting with Andrew Jackson. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Today's show we're talking about ideas with legs and our next guest took an idea and certainly gave it a great set of pins. He created a tech startup. He's founder and chief operating officer at Circle Source and a self-described seasoned reward head. That certainly sparked my curiosity. Andrew Jackson, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jackie. Great to be here. Good to have you on now. My first question I have to ask, because this is about ideas and curiosity and things, why a seasoned reward head? <laughs> oh, look, it's a, uh, it's not a common title, but I guess it's something that, that uh, came out of my, my previous job. It really is about remuneration and benefit. So I started in payroll, believe it or not, about 30 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and then moved into remuneration and benefits with a number of organisations and ended up being the head of reward and property, which was an interesting mix. But reward, I guess, is that mix of payroll, incentives, uh, reward and recognition plans, uh, and it's common terminology for, for big organisations. And so, the season bit, I, I guess I've got a bit of uh, a few crumbs on me from the journey, so I'm, I'm, I'm well seasoned in that regard. Are you the sort of person whose wallet is bulging from all your reward cards in there? They seem to come and go, um, but I tend to just not be a big one on those things. Oh, okay. Well, I, I am. I've got, I'm, I'm actually that person because I like to sort of see what all the other, what businesses are doing and how they're uh, impacting the customer experience, I suppose. But you... Oh, you, I, yeah, I, I get it, Jackie, but yeah. it's about as far as I go is uh, <laughs> making sure when I go shopping, I'm only buying the things that are on special. Oh, yes. Well, I think that's Mars, Venus, the male and female brain, but that's another conversation. Now, in 2016, you switched your career. So you had a career, as you mentioned, in, in I suppose, HR, would you call it? Uh, yes. Yeah, yes, so HR. you switched from HR. And then you went to, as you do, tech startups. How did that happen? That's a huge leap. Well, well, a pretty logical transition, uh, I would have thought, actually, um Look, it, it, it was a big shift, but um, the shift into the, the IT stream was actually born out of the issues that we had through our HR careers. For years and years, we found it difficult to, to find and connect with and engage external specialists that, that all businesses bring in from time to time. And we, we, were, we were throwing this idea around and we thought, well, wouldn't it be great if there was somewhere you could go to actually find these people check out what they've been doing, have a look at their profiles and, and get in touch with them to do those pieces of work because it was, it was taking an inordinate amount of time just to find people that you're looking for. Then you have to go through a, a vetting process, shortlist process, and we really wanted to streamline that. So logically, let's go and, uh, um, let's go and get a tech startup going. And it's called Circle Source. Where did the brand name come from? Um, the brand name um, essentially is um, sourcing from your trusted network circles. And ah, great. Source. Yep, I like it. I like a, a brand name with meaning. So just explain how it works. So Circle Source is a digital marketplace where buyers and suppliers can connect uh, and do business. So it's much more than a marketplace. When we first started out, we thought, well, we need 
need a list of, of suppliers. That's going to be a great start. That's going to help people. But then we thought that's just going to be a directory. And we've seen what's happened to directories mm. over time. So we thought, okay, what if we made it a two-sided marketplace and we had uh, both buyers and suppliers involved? So we, we went down that path and then we pivoted again and said, well, okay, what if we could actually have those parties connect using a platform. So we went much further than just creating a, an online marketplace. And I think we've seen online marketplaces come and go in a number of industries. Um, we hope to stand the test of time. So we built uh, an engagement platform along with the marketplace so that you can not only find the people that you're looking for, you can see their skills, you can create your jobs, invite people to pitch, get offers, do the work, exchange documents, conversations, all in the one platform. Excellent. And is it really targeted to the freelance community or small business? Is there a particular segment that would benefit the most from this platform? Well, we, we try and stay away from the from the freelance market. Um, there, there's people out there that are that are well entrenched there. Of course, you've got freelance and you've got Airtasker, but it, it is a different market. We're more aimed at the mid market, um, five to fifty thousand dollar transactions, which corporates do potentially hundreds of times a year, but it's not just for larger corporates. It's actually for small, medium businesses as well. Anyone who needs to bring in an expert to help them with their business or supplement their team. So when did it actually launch? We only launched 12 months ago with the full product. It's, it's been, a, been a little bit longer than that in the making, but yeah. uh, we've really only been live for the last 12 months. And how's growth going with it? Look, it's, it's a challenge, but we're pretty pleased. We've grown by about 136% over the last 12 months, and I guess to, to put that in context, that's really through a very small digital marketing budget and a lot of hard work through our own networks. And so, so yeah. we're pleased with the growth. We'd love it to be more. I think every business would love it to be more, mm. um, but it's going up in the right direction, and we think it's going to continue. Well, I think in the first 12 months, Andrew, I think that's quite healthy growth. And uh, and doing things like this, talking about it, uh, telling people about it is really key, I think, particularly for startups. And I, in my experience, that's the bit that startups don't get so, so good at, is telling other people succinctly and easily what it is all about. Now, you mentioned in your first 12 months about uh, some challenges. What's been the biggest challenge in that 12-month growth? Oh, look, you, you, you touched on it a little bit there, Jackie. We, it, it took us a while to realise, but what we're trying to do is change people's behaviour. Mm. And so you're quite right, talking to as many people as possible about what they're doing now uh, and the, the, relating the problem that we had to problems that they may have is, is so important. Um, but we realised after a while you've got to change people's behaviour, stop them doing what they're doing now. We're so good at reverting to type and going back to our old networks and it's not necessarily the most efficient thing to do and it might not get you the best result either. Our biggest challenge is getting people to think differently and once they think differently, give something different a go. I remember when Uber came along and I was pretty reluctant to give it a go until someone I trusted said... Mm. I've never looked back. So we're in a phase now where it's really about just getting 
encourage people to have a go, check it out, and see if they can get some benefits from it. Yeah, that's where influencers and brand ambassadors is certainly a strategic uh, ma- um, way that marketers are using strategy and using influencers and brand ambassadors as part of that strategy. And that's why it's it's working so effectively because exactly what you said is that if someone you trust and you don't need to know them to trust them. You can actually just like them from afar because you trust what they say or you follow them or they're a thought leader in their field. They're giving it a go. You think, well, if they give it a go, maybe I should try it. And it's just that little bit of a push and a little bit of a confidence. So it actually works quite well. It's quite cost-effective for small businesses to look at brand ambassadors and influencers as part of their marketing strategy. Oh, absolutely right. We're, we're talking to dozens of, of businesses at the moment um, and, and some of them are starting to transact, which is just fantastic. But oh, you're right, good. it's so important for those people to to show a bit of trust mm. and, and get behind it. If we can get a few well-known brands to get behind it, that just gives you a little kick you need. Uh, and I think just as important as getting dollars is those strategic partners as well. So not only brands that you can potentially leverage off, but organisations that might be supplementary to your business in terms of being able to add some depth to the skill base and the reach. Yeah, well, that'll all, all lead to, to growth, which will mean dollars as well. Uh, but I think that's that's part of it. Uh, now, with Circle Source, it's an online... Is it just online? Is it 100% online business? It's 100% online. Yeah. Any time, any device, as long as you're connected to the internet. Okay, so if... People are now doing more business online. What advice would you give them uh, looking at starting a business or they're wanting to transfer their business to one doing business online? What's some advice you'd give them? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> look, it, it is the way that, that the world is going to go. We, we trust, well, sometimes we don't trust, but we trust an awful lot of what's going on online. And you look at the take-up of digital devices, for example, in Australia. Um, we all use them. We're one of the most prolific users of uh, iPads and iPhones, smartphones, those sorts of things, but sometimes we can be pretty slow in adopting that, that online technology. Um, my advice to people would be to be persistent, uh, knowing that going online is just going to happen more and more. So don't give up. I think the other thing is have a good digital marketing strategy. Um, that doesn't come cheap, so it's it's not an easy thing to do, and it's such a growing industry that I know digital marketers, uh, marketing organisations, they're finding it hard to find people. There's a real uh, shortage of supply in that space, mm. but I think it really pays to consider how you engage people online, how you market online, um, your brand, your messaging, your taglines uh, is so important. But number one is persistence. That's great advice because we're living in a search society. So I think uh, it's important that you're easy to find. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So if people are looking at growing their business, uh, they're a small to medium-sized business, would you say, Andrew? The small to medium-sized business are looking at growing that they may consider circle source? I think any established or growing organisation that needs to, to get some help, whether it's in that, that HR space or whether it's governance, project management, strategy, um, any 
consulting service or business service that they need because the reality is most organisations don't carry all of the expertise that they need inside their business because they only need it from time to time and it's far too costly to, to have it sitting there uh, not active. So Circle Source can work for any business where you need someone to come in and do a discrete piece of work. Now it could be consulting, it could be uh, working up a, a training program for them, it could be some executive coaching, um, there's a whole range of activities that, that we all need to bring in to help us help us um, run our business and of course grow the business. So whether you're in a growth phase, whether you're established, whether you're upsizing, downsizing, um, Circle Source can work for any business. Yeah, I'm a big fan of experts. I always get very nervous on, and you probably see it as well, and I suppose they may be considered considered a secondary or primary competitor for Circle Source, but on those Facebook groups and people are, ask questions to the group and I look at it and I go, come on, you know, don't put it out there. Engage an expert to do it properly and some of the advice is so random and it always makes me very nervous and I think that sort of, in my humble opinion, it fuels the... Uh, terrible shocking numbers of how many small businesses fail in the first year or the first five years is because they're not using experts. So that's what I like about Circle Source is it's actually a, a, a platform for you to source some really good experts. And you've got, um, and I know when I've gone on and had a look on there that people can actually put it out to pitch. So you don't have to actually contact one person directly. You can put a request in and see what the responses are. You're right. A big point of difference for us was well, a couple of things, really. We we looked at this from a buyer perspective. There's other organisations out there that, that were really a collection of consultants that said, OK, if we get together and we put ourselves online, people will come to us. We flipped that around and said, we want the buyers to be in control the whole time. So anybody can sign up at any time, get full access to the marketplace, see the profiles, if they want to follow people, they can do that. Um, if they want to engage someone now, then they create a brief in the tool. They get to review who's there. They decide who to invite. So the buyer's in control from start to finish, and it's completely transparent, and we're very deliberate about that. There's a number of platforms out there where unless you give away just about everything about yourself and the potential job you're looking for, um, you don't even get a look in. You don't get to see who's in there. You don't get access to the marketplace. And we thought that was really important, being well, completely transparent mm. and giving people the ability to make informed decisions. Well, congratulations, because I think this idea has got legs. We're 12 months in. I look forward to having a chat in another 12 months, Andrew Jackson, because uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes, and I really appreciate your time today. Oh, that's our pleasure, Jackie. We're, we're really excited about the future as well. We've got a couple of strategic partnerships in, in the pipeworks that we hope are just going to give it the kick it needs. Well, uh, very exciting. Stay persistent, which is your advice, which I think is excellent advice. And uh, I look forward to the next time that we chat. Andrew Jackson from Circle Source, thank you. Good on you. Thanks so much, Jackie. Thank you. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We are talking about ideas with legs. We'll be right back after this very, very, very short break. 
Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Many of us wait for a start of fall. That was Girl Meets Boy, an old song, but I do like it. And they hope that star is the next big thing. That is when you need an innovation architect. Well, our next guest is just that. He is founder of Innovation Blueprint, Niels Vesk. Welcome to Taking Care of Business. Hey, thanks for having us. Great to have you on the show. Now, innovation, plans, tools, techniques, all for world-class innovation. How do you design and plan for innovation? Ooh, great question. Um, part of it is often thinking about what are customers or people going to need in the future? Because if we can get into the minds of what's a new emerging technology or an emerging trend, then it actually becomes much, much easier to develop ideas that will create the new super product or the new service that um, everyone wants to buy. Okay. So how do you train people to become commercially innovative? Yeah, I think part of that is usually about getting people to think about what is something that is going to be valuable to a customer. So quite often someone might have an idea for something. It's like, oh, I've just come up with this great idea for a little widget that does X. But the only person, or not the only person, if it's just a, an audience or a customer base of one person who's interested in that idea, then that's not going to be commercial. So part of the job of trying to find out what's going to be commercial is going, okay, what's what's a need or a desire or an aversion or a frustration that up until now no one has come up with a solution for? So classic example, um, you know, it's probably spoken about a little bit too much, but Uber. Uber realised that customers didn't like waiting around for a taxi when the taxi might not come on time. Um, That was one thing they didn't like. They also realised that there were a lot of people who worked as taxi drivers who felt that they were underpaid because if they weren't doing a job driving around, they weren't getting paid. So they put a series of these different customer frustrations together to come up with the idea of... Uber, which obviously, as we all know, enables you to see when a car's coming to you and it gives people part-time work that they can work when they want with their own vehicle. Um, yeah, so it's a win-win situation. Yeah, so it's actually, I suppose, the mindset of being a problem finder first and then identifying the problem and then coming up with the solution. So it's, I suppose it's a marketing 101. It's much easier to fulfill a need than create one. Is that the premise? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you should come and work for me, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> no, eloquently put there, it's definitely about finding the problem. And, um, but sometimes, again, it's not always just a problem. It could also be a desire. So let's say, for example, um, you know, I, 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 if I'm travelling for work and I go to an, another state, um, I might need a place where I can have some shelter. You know, I need, I need a room for the night. But I might desire to have a deluxe experience um, or I might desire to actually feel like I'm a member in the community or that I actually have an activity so I'm not Nils no friends and left alone on a Friday night. So someone's like, well, how could we give our guests who come to our hotel or wherever it is that they might be going to connect with some other guests and meet some real people rather than being stuck alone in a hotel having room service? So that's a desire 
that um, can also lead to great insights and great ideas. Now, on your website, innovationblueprint.com.au, you've got a lot of information there, and one that I found most interesting, you said 90% of organisations say that innovation is one of their core values, which I tend to agree with, but only 2% will have an innovation structure, and only around 4% will have had any basic innovation training. That doesn't add up, does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it, it, it's kind of um, scary, but when you think about the idea that most, as you said, most companies will say, right, we 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 live and breathe innovation, and then you go, okay, well, you know, what, what sort of structures do you have in place for innovation? Is there an opportunity for people to come up with ideas? Is there? Um, do you have any training for innovation? And they go, oh, not really. Do you give your team permission? That is time or support or resources to innovate? Oh, no. So, well, what do you expect them to just do it without... (laughs) If you want want people to innovate, you've got to give them the how-to, you've got to give them the want-to, and you've got to give them the chance to. So if you you don't have those three things, innovation just doesn't happen. What do you say to people uh, who are in corporate life and say, look, I'm just not creative, I'm good with the numbers, I'm good with logistics and uh, I suppose the, the structured mathematical processes, but I'm not creative. How do you respond to them? Yeah, I mean, it's a very common objection or a very common problem that people will say. Um, the reality is that we all have creative and innovative abilities. I mean, when we were kids, we were, you know, creative, innovative geniuses. But unfortunately, I often like to say that we were abducted by aliens. And aliens first came in the, in the case of education, and then that led on to institutions and organisations where it's yes, sir, no, sir, three bags, full, sir. Um, and, and so often learning how to become innovative is actually just rediscovering and just being taught some principles of, in many ways, we, we would explore. We were curious when we were kids. We would try experimenting. We would prototype. We would build things. And a lot of those principles, when we think about it, are, are fairly simple to teach to people so they can learn it again. Um, the other thing that we found that can really help in people sort of turning on that innovation skill is to think that there are different types of phases of innovation. So I've used the word insights a bit, which is about, as you said, problem finding. Mm-hmm. So who might have a problem? So we might think, okay, if I was a behavioralist or a psychologist or a, you know, someone running focus groups, I go, well, how could I think like them? I'd just ask these questions. I'd observe. I'd do that. Or if I'm into, if I was a data analyst, what kind of, uh, numbers could we be looking at that indicates a behavioural trend? Um, and, and if you think about different phases, there's almost different personalities or professional archetypes, for better use of a word, that you could step into their shoes to think a different way. So you might go, okay, if I was an engineer, what kind of ideas would I come up with? Well, they'd be functional, they'd be practical, they'd last forever. Or if I was an advertising creative, um, what kind of ideas would I come up with? I'd come up with ideas to that would grab people's attention and um, be quite abstract and things like that. So all of these skills are things that we can learn and um, apply into our workplace fairly easily. So we've had everyone from your PhD left brain scientists to um, you, know, um, you know surgeons and all kinds of things learn how to become innovative even though they might think, oh, I'm not innovative to begin with.
Yeah, it's a limiting belief and a limiting mindset, I think. But you've actually explored this in more detail in your new book, which I've actually been inspired to name the show today, Niels. It's called Ideas with Legs is your new book, which I think is a fantastic title. So congratulations on that. And in it, you describe the difference between a trend and a fad. And I found that interesting. So what is the difference? Yeah, so a big thing is people go, well, a fad is something that generally looks like it's going to be promising. It looks like it's going to be something that's going to be hanging around for a while. And then just when you think it's going to sort of turn up, it, it, it disappears. So if, if, if anyone's old enough, you might remember um, an, an idea of the, the pet rock. Do you ever remember those? Yes, a, I do. Yeah, yes. Okay. <laughs> so we're showing our age here. But, mm. um, yeah, the pet rock, it was it was a fad. It came in and everyone thought, right, let's put a bit of a wig on a, on a rock, put some eyes, and, you know, it, it didn't really add any value, any substance. It sort of came and went. Um, but in terms of business, what we want to make sure is if there's something turning up and that's sort of starting to pop up, whether before we go and invest all of our money and say, right, I need to get some new technology to work with this or we need to start creating a product around it, it's much better to go, let's just check in that it's going to last the distance. And we can do that in a number of different ways. We can look at um, how durable is the idea going to be? Um, is there something unique about it? How superior might, might it be? Um, is it groundbreaking? Um, is it going to deliver extreme value? And by assessing those things, then you can go, actually, you know what, based on eight or ten of these different factors, I'm really confident that, that this trend is going to hang around. So that means you can then seize on it before your competition and be the first person who's delivering, you know, let's say you might be using some artificial intelligence to do some of your back-end processing. Okay, is it a fad or is it a trend? No, I know it's going to be a trend. Let's invest in this so we can get some good returns before our competitors do. Great. Now, just to finish up, the concept of trends is always a hot topic. And I was extremely impressed and pleased when I went onto your website, innovationblueprint.com.au, that you actually have a, uh, a chart of emerging trends, which I found absolutely fascinating. So anyone who goes okay. on your website can download that for free. So thank you for, for sharing that amongst uh, the business community, emerging socio-cultural trends. Uh, really great. Now, what if you had to start a new business now, what trend would you think would be the the uh, the low hanging fruit? Let's say. Mm, you know, I, I, I think a, a really good place to work in and, and is around our aging population. And I know a lot of people go, oh, you know, I don't want to work with, you know, I want to work with cool hip people. But it's it's often in areas that people think I don't want to work in where the biggest opportunities lie. So to give you an example, there are some predictions being made that one in three people are going to be living over the age of 100 in the next five to 10 years, which is Amazing, because it opens up all kinds of new areas for jobs. Say, for example, end-of-life planning. What's that? You might say, well, how do we make sure that if someone's going to be living to that age, how are they going to financially support themselves, but also how they're going to stay mobile? What's the entertainment that they want? Um, where are they going to live? There's, yeah, so I really think the, the age population, I, I've kind of identified them as one of the, the new consumer groups um, people over 80, it's a, it's a very interesting market. But aged, aged services, um, looking around that, how do we reinvent it? You know, Because in the past, we always used to throw our older people into a retirement village. 
surely there's better models that we could be doing and coming up. And in some countries around the world, especially in Holland, they're looking at reinventing that where they create almost a community hub that has uh, shops and a retail area and the elderly people sort of live more around there, but it's interspersed with younger, um, you know, younger accommodation sort of uh, types there. So they're trying to reinvent um, the communities as we know it to make sure that elderly people are at the heart of a community, not, not lost and forgotten in some retirement village. Yeah, that's great. So if uh, people want to find out, it's innovationblueprint.com.au. We might put a link to our Facebook page there. Niels Visk. Thank you so much for your time, your insights, your information, sharing that knowledge. I know you've got a series of also workshops. You're doing a road a road show around Australia. Information will be on your website about that. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. Great. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We are talking about ideas with legs, and we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We are talking about ideas with legs and that song was called Synergy and that's because our next guest is from a company called Synergy 8 and his name is Scott McNaught. Welcome. Hi there, Jackie. How's it going? Hi, Scott. Good, thank you. Now, this is really important what you do. We're talking about ideas with legs and a lot of ideas can only get running using the digital space and you've founded a digital marketing software business. Tell us a little bit about Synergy 8 and what you do. Yeah, that's correct. So um, Synergy 8 is basically a, um, a digital marketing software platform for small and medium businesses. Uh, the idea of it is it allows you to publish a website Grow a customer database and interact with your audience via uh, email marketing and social networking, and then selling online as well. So we're basically a all-in-one comprehensive platform for doing everything in the digital marketing space and okay. tying it all together into one closed-loop system. Great. So it's like a one-stop shop for those businesses that want a presence online. So just to quickly go through, content management system is, uh, in layman's terms, a website that, as a business owner, you can update yourself. So every time you want an update, you don't have to send it off to, to you to do, that you can actually have some control over that. Uh, you'll also look after, if you're writing blobs, blogs, <laughs> blobs, <laughs> blogs with a G, uh, which is really good for SEO. Um, you have have shopping carts, so those that are selling online, that's a really yep. important part as well. Now, tell us a bit about the email broadcasters. What's that? Okay, so basically, as a, um, as a business, when you get established enough, you'll probably have a bit of a following. So, you know, you've attracted a few customers and you want to get that repeat business. So email marketing is a really great way to do that. So if you've, if you've got consent to send to your, your customers, maybe they've purchased something and have agreed to... Um, you know, receive marketing material from you. You can basically send them, you know, email campaigns with follow-up promotions and offers, and get them coming back to your business for repeat business. Okay, and so we talked about trends. We were talking with uh, Niels Vesk on the other side of the break before I was chatting with you, and we were talking about trends. So I'm really interested in your opinion on what trends you're seeing in the digital space. Yeah, so I mean, digital marketing is a very fluid space and. It's always changing, but I think it's the thing that's really on people's minds and you know what's on, on you know in conversation a lot at the moment is security and privacy. There's a lot of new laws coming out in Europe about um, privacy through the GPDR, and also in Australia we've got new mandatory data breach regulation as well. Um, 
so and also with what's happened with Facebook and then getting in trouble with um with their privacy uh, policies as well. Um, so I think that's something that's really you know on people's minds and um, a trend that's happening at the moment is people need need to know where their data is being hosted and, and stored and making sure that that's very secure. Um, and something that could could help with a lot of, of that is just doing a simple review of all of the apps and things where your data is being housed and just checking over all of the um, the security settings on them and just tightening everything up there. Uh, that's a that's a really great tip. So, if a business is looking at uh, starting or starting to have an online presence, or they're looking at starting a business online, they've had this idea, they've seen a need in the marketplace, they're wanting to start a business, and whether it's sell a product or service online, what advice would you give them? Yeah, so if you're just starting out, I mean, the social space is definitely where you want to be. If you're if you're just starting out, so. It's obviously free to get started, and you can you know start collecting customers that way by um you know referring people to your to your social pages. But if you're um if you're doing social, it's important to know where your customers are as well. Mm. So if you're doing a business to business sort of relationship, um you know LinkedIn is probably a really good spot to um to start start there. And um if you're maybe like a florist and have a really visual product, maybe um Instagram could be a really good spot to start. So choosing the networks to focus on, um, depending on where your your customers are, would be a really good start. Yeah, um, I think that's really key. And look, I'm a big fan of experts, so I'm just going to pick you up there, Scott, on the free to start. I think I think it's worth putting a bit of money aside to engage an expert to help you write a social media strategy because I see this sort of random posting and, as you said, actually knowing where your customers are. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. then I guess when you get more established, you can start driving that social traffic to your mm, site, yeah. growing your customer database, and then you know getting into the more sophisticated side of things. But definitely, if you're starting out, um, yeah, social is probably the the best starting point for it. That's a great tip. Now, Synergy Eight, we're going to see you at the Byte Conference in Mornington on Tuesday, the 29th of May, aren't we? Yep. Um, we'll look forward to, to meeting everyone there who's gone. Yeah, and um, you're, you're yeah, really facilitating a workshop on web and content marketing. Yeah, that's correct. So one of my colleagues, Joel Campbell, is um, basically doing a, a nice little workshop on that, um, presenting a whole lot of informative tips. So, yeah, I look forward to, to seeing you guys at that. Yeah, we really look forward to it as well. We're really excited about that. Uh, Scott McNaught from Synergy 8, thanks very much for your time. And I thought this was an a, appropriate song to end the uh, show today. It's ACDC with Shake a Leg, and I think that's what <laughs> lots of uh, business owners and people with ideas really need to to uh, take that next step, get some inspiration. So hopefully today on Taking Care of Business they've done that. Scott McNaught, thanks again for your time. Love it. Thanks, Jackie. Great. Thank you. See you at Bart. We hope you've learned something new today and feel inspired. If you just joined us, you missed a great show, but the podcast will be on the RLPFM website, rlpfm.com.au. If you want to find out a bit more about taking care of business, you can find us on Facebook and you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, We look forward to your company next Friday at 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business.